Have your Bibles, remain standing, and look at Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. I know we're in Mark. Uh, I know we're in Mark, but today, as you've seen when you were coming in, uh, we are kicking off our, our missions emphasis that we do every year in planting churches and, and, and uh, uh, giving out our boxes today. And I was in, I was in uh, the, the One Strong Ministry Sunday, excuse me, Saturday, what day? Friday. My goodness, this has got me all tore up today, amen? Uh, Friday, we were, we were with One Strong right in here going over this particular chapter, and, and man, God began to speak to me. I was going to go a whole different direction and, uh, and, 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 and God opened my eyes to some things that I think is going to be eye-opening to you guys today. You know, back in, back in Jesus' day, a Pharisee was looked up to as, as godly, as uh, the, probably the closest to heaven or closest to God there were, when in reality, they were hypocrites. When in reality, they were very religious but not redeemed. They could keep a set of rules, and they were hypocritical about it, became self-righteous, and began to judge everybody else according to their own set of rules. And, and today, if you want to cuss a Christian, just call him a Pharisee. Uh, do I have a witness? No self-respecting Christian would ever want to be called a Pharisee. No, no self-respecting Christian would ever be one to call a hypocrite. But you know what? God, God kind of showed me sometimes modern-day Christians can be more like Pharisees than we want to believe. And so, so let's just take a few, uh, few moments this morning, and, and we're going to talk about the lesson of the lost. The lesson of the lost. Jesus here is being confronted uh, by Pharisees, hypocrites, religious, religious game players who are upset at his effort to reach lost people. And so he teaches them a lesson about the law. So let's look in Luke 15, Luke 15 and verse number one. If you're there, say amen. amen. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. He receiveth. I, I, I studied that word receiveth, and it, it means to allow. It means to allow. It means to await. It means, uh, in other words, if, 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 if I'm going to hang out with sinners and I'm going to receive sinners, I'm not going to expect them to be what I am to be with me. That's what that means. I'm going to allow them to be whoever they are and do everything I can for them to know who I know. Are y'all with me? He receiveth sinners and he eateth with them. This was their critique. This was their criticism. And he spake a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? What's the next, next four words? until he find it. And when he has found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, 
for I have found my sheep which was lost. Well, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, sweep the house, and seek diligently, what? Till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. Then Jesus, I'm going to give you a little synopsis of the next few verses so to save time. We, most people are familiar with the prodigal son. Amen? The prodigal son. One man had two sons. Uh, one uh, decided he wanted his inheritance, and he took it and went to a far country and wasted his substance on riotous living, debauchery, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole deal. I mean, he went out and wasted everything, everything. He comes to his senses. God deals with him, brings him under deep conviction. He sees the truth of his situation. He comes back and is forgiven of the father. Are y'all with me? Big brother didn't like it. He didn't like the fact that he was forgiven. He didn't like the effort that was made by the father to restore and forgive the son. And this is what he said in verse 24. This is what the father said about the son who came to his senses for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was and is. And they began to be what? Look at verse number 32, the very last verse. This is where he's confronting his son. He said, it was meat. That means proper, right, the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do that we should make merry and be for that. This thy brother was and is alive again, he was, but now he is found. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for the privilege it is to be in a place where they're baptizing on a regular basis. Lord, thank you for all these souls that were saved. I was able to witness two of them come to know you Wednesday night after the service. What a privilege that was, an honor, what a blessing. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. Now, Lord, Lord, convict us. Lord, I pray, I pray that you will do everything to get us where we're supposed to be. If we're more like the Pharisees than we should be, I pray that you'll reveal that to us this morning. God, I praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. You may be seated. I've often wondered why, why do missions trips make such an impact on people that go? In other words, when your, your everyday church member uh, who is sitting on the pew and, and really just kind of going through the motions, when they take and they go on a missions trip, they go to a, a foreign country and they see uh, the, the reality of what's there, they always come back changed. They always come back different. They always come back more uh, convicted and more enthused about reaching lost souls. And I wondered, what is it? Is it the plane ride? 
I mean, is it the food they have to eat over there? Is it that they, they, they just realize how hard they have it? Oh, it's not. It's they get there and they see they're just people. They are, they are real flesh and blood brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, just like we have here. And I, I, I want to... Uh, this is what God woke me up this morning. And really, it's more about the, the intro than it is the, the outline. And I'm very limited in time, uh, which ha- I have no problem with. When you, when you have to cut your sermon to baptize people, man, my sermon's like baloney. Cut it anywhere, it's good. Say amen. <laughs> we'll cut it. We'll do whatever we got to do. But I looked at these, I looked at these, these verses, and, and Jesus is frustrated with the people who are supposed to know the heart of God. These are the people who were supposed to be the closest to God, and if they were the closest to God, they would know what's closest to God's heart, but they were so delusional and oblivious to the heart of God. And they see Jesus hanging out with bad people. They see Jesus hanging out with sinners. And this is, this, is, this is a travesty. What a scandal this is. He's supposed to be a rabbi. He's supposed to be a holy man. He is supposed to be from God. What's he doing hanging out with them? And boy, be careful thinking around Jesus. Because he can read your thoughts. And he addresses this issue. And this is what, this is what really I, I, I put in your notes. If you have the notes in front of you, there's three little things that the Pharisees were guilty of. And I, I, was just, I just threw that in there, and I was just going to briefly speak about it and then get to the outline. But for some reason, this morning, God woke me up and, and really began to speak to me about these three things and and, and, and this is, maybe, maybe that's all we share today. I, I, I don't know, we'll do the rest later, but, but we'll just get as far as we can get for the time we have. These Pharisees who, who were very religious, they would never miss a service. They would never be caught dead around people who were of ill repute. They were, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a very legalistic a very legalistic movement. I mean, the, 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 the churches I grew up in, they had more rules than Jesus did. Literally. No, no kidding. I mean, really. In all reality, that's the truth. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers or people, you know, they, they, they use those old phrase, you know, uh, I dress right, talk right, and spit white. <laughs> I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't run with those who do. Like that's a, like that's a good thing. And then when I was growing up, I thought, well, that's that's a good thing. You know, we're separated. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And and we have taken that 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 word separation, and and we have taken it as God saying, be isolated. He said, separate, not isolate. And here, here was a problem that the Pharisees had. First of all, they were disconnected. They were disconnected from the people who needed them the most. They were disconnected from the people they were supposed to be reaching. 
They were disconnected from the people that they were supposed to be sharing the love of God and sharing the word of God and sharing the salvation that God has to offer. Now look, William Barclay, William Barclay, this is what he said. This is what the Pharisees thought of the people Jesus was hanging out with. They had a phrase that they used to describe it. They were called the people of the land, the commoners, the, the, the non-religious, the sinners. The Pharisees gave to people who did not keep the law a general classification. They called them the people of the land. And there was a complete barrier between the Pharisees and the people of the land. The Pharisee reg- regulations laid it down. When a man is one of the people of the land, entrust no money to him, take no testimony from him, trust him with no secret, do not appoint him the guardian of an orphan, do not make him the custodian of charitable funds, do not accompany him on a journey. A Pharisee was forbidden to be the guest of any such man or to have him as his guest. He was even forbidden so far as it was possible to have any business dealings with him. It was the deliberate Pharisaic aim to avoid every contact with the people who did not observe the petty details of the law. The strict Jew said, they didn't say that there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. This was their their motto. There will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated. This is what William Barclay said. Listen, they were totally disconnected. We're here, they're over there. Now you say, preacher, what's that got to do with us? Have you noticed, have you noticed that the longer you're saved, the longer you're in church, the longer that you go to church, the less lost people you know? The more disconnected you get from the people who desperately need us. We hang out with our Christian friends. We go, to, we go out with our Christian friends. We have dinner with our Christian friends. We, the only time we spend is with our Christian friends. Now, we need to do those things. We need to hang out with our Christian friends. We need to fellowship with our Christian friends, but not to the detriment of the people who desperately need us, not with the risk of getting disconnected from the lost Disconnected. Let me tell you something. If you don't hear a cuss word every now and then, you may be disconnected. And I don't mean in your living room either. That don't count. Hello. If you're never around people who are lost, do do you know... Everybody look at me. I'm I'm, I'm trying not to vent. I'm just burdened with this because I'm telling you, God put this on my heart early this morning. I I didn't really even mean to talk about these things. I just threw that in there and I was going to get on the outline. But God's got a message in those three things. Listen, if if, if we're never around people, the biggest biggest problem that we have had in DMD, Disciples Making Disciples, the biggest problem... The biggest problem that we've had with our faith-sharing workshop, right, where we teach people how to share their faith, the very first thing we encourage everybody to do is make a list. 
Make a list of 30 people that don't go to church. Make a list of 30 people who are unsaved. Make a list of 30 people who don't know Christ. And do you know that that list has been the hardest thing for people to come up with? Because, preacher, I don't really know any lost people. I don't, I don't. You know what's happened? The longer we're saved, the more disconnected we get from the people who desperately need us. And sometimes the disconnect is not only because of neglect or because of we've, we've kind of just spent all of our time with our Christian buddies. Sometimes the disconnect is because you think you're better than they are. You, you don't want to be, you don't want to be contaminated. Well, if, you, if you're worried about being contaminated, you you got a bigger problem. Hello. They were disconnected. And I'm afraid, I'm telling you, I'm afraid we're losing our country and we're losing our communities because our churches are getting further and further disconnected from the community that needs them. Not only were they disconnected, Look at the second one. Look at the second word at the top of your list. What is it? Say it again. They didn't even care. They didn't even care. Not only were they disconnected with the people who needed them, they didn't even care that they were going to hell. They didn't even have a burden for him. It didn't even cross their mind. They were totally disinterested. I guarantee you, you do surveys around this country. You do surveys in churches and you, you do surveys with Christians and, and, and you'll say, hey, what's the top priorities of this church? And man, fellowship is going to be up there. Praise is going to be up there. Worship is going to be up there. And I like all of those things. Oh, we care we care for our people that are sick. And all, but I promise you this, I promise you this, reaching lost people will only get a verbal nod. You say, how do you know that? Because if it was really a priority, they would be doing something about it. If we were really interested, and I'm not saying we, I'm, I'm telling we, we, God has really blessed temple, but we got a long ways to go. I've really, I've really, ch church as a whole, your pastor, your pastor has really been reevaluating his, his goals and his, his value system and his priorities. And, and the priority used to be as a young preacher and naive and immature was, man, let's, let's get a big crowd and let's, let's build a bigger building and, and fill that building. And when we fill that building, let's build a bigger one and let's build a bigger one. And, and, and no, 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 no. You say, preacher, what's it about now? It's about planting churches and sending soul winners. It's about planning these churches. It's about sending support to nations, to these people, these names that we saw on the screen that will never hear about Christ unless somebody like you and me will send somebody to them to tell them. And man, I want to do everything we can. I, I'm going to just, I'm just be honest. I'm not going to even, I'm not even going to just try to beat around the bush and I'm not going to dress this up. I was a little frustrated. I was a little frustrated 
uh, at our, our, our faith sharing workshop. Not because, not because there wasn't nobody there, because there was, there was a ton of people there. We had like 200 come. Man, I was excited. That was great. And we, we already had like 500 before have already gone through it. So that, that's not what was frustrating. Man, they were engaged. They were involved. But this is what I was frustrated with, with me and, and our staff and, and what we are providing that here's what I'm thinking. I don't want this just to be another workshop where somebody comes in and fills out the notes and shuts it and never looks at it again. We need follow-up. We need to provide areas to use this and so they can practice because I'm going to tell you this, you can come and take the notes, but if you don't practice and use it, you're not going to get it. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Some of you original 500, some of you original 500, I'm not a gambling man, but I bet you, you ain't opened that book since you filled it out in here. And it doesn't do us any good. God's not going to, God's not going to, when we get to heaven, God's not going to say, what'd you learn while you was down there? Guess what? You're not getting credit for showing up today. God's not got a list. Okay, check, present. They get a reward for that. No, you don't get a reward for coming to worship. We're coming to worship for what he's done for us. You know what he's going to say? He's not going to say, what'd you learn down there? He's going to say, what'd you you do down there? But you know what? They didn't even care. They didn't even care. They didn't even care that they were lost. They didn't care that they were going to hell. They didn't care about their condition. They were disinterested. They were disinterested. And man, I'm afraid there's a lot of professed Christians today that's disinterested in the plight in the souls of men. Their souls. Jesus gave them the story of the sheep. He gave them the story of the silver. And man, they found value in the sheep. They found value in the silver. But the problem is, is they didn't find value in the soul. And I'm afraid as modern-day Christians, we find value in our possessions. We find value in our professions. We find value in all kinds of things. But we have lost understanding the value of a soul. They were disinterested. Not only, number one, oh, we're having fun this morning, ain't we? Number one, they were Disconnected. Can, 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 can y'all see how easy that would be to, for us to get that way? Yeah. To get disconnected? We just spend all of our time with the people we know, the, our, our, our Christian friends, brothers and sisters, and we get so disconnected from the real world out there of brokenness. And sometimes we're disconnected because, number two, we are. Now, now them two is bad. Them two is bad. But number three is really bad. Not only were they disconnected, we should never get that way. Not only were they disinterested, we definitely shouldn't get that way. But they were disturbed at the effort Jesus was making to win them lost people. Let me say that again. They were disturbed at the effort that Jesus was making to reach those sinners. 
Now, it's one thing, it's one thing to be disconnected. It's another thing to be disinterested, just be apathetic about it. But it's another thing to get an attitude about what somebody else is doing about it. Well, where do you go with that? Let me tell you where I'm going. Some of y'all, when you come through the doors, in your peripheral vision, you saw that table with all them boxes on it. And you got an attitude. First thought you had was, here we go again. And it bothered you. So how do you know that? Because I hear it every year. Are we doing this again? Are we? Why are we? Why are we? Listen, it's not enough for you to be disconnected. It's not enough for you to be disinterested. But you got to reveal to everybody that you are disturbed of the effort somebody's trying to make to reach lost people. Now, I was sitting at my, my girlfriend's house when I was in Bible college. And we were sitting at the table and I was always, you know, trying to be funny and trying to, you know, be the life of the party and trying to, and her daddy was always real quiet. Mean looking. Wanted to have the bluff on me. And I was just trying to be funny one day. We were sitting there eating and 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 I, I said I, I said something like, I said, man, you sure are quiet tonight. You know, just I was trying to be just trying to make conversation with the guy who's giving me the evil eye. And this is what he said. This is what, without even batting an eye, without even thinking about it, he's still looking at me with that eye. He said, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> is, there, is there any of that gravy left over there? Can I, can I have some gravy? Let me tell you. It's better to, for people to think you're disinterested and disconnected. Don't open your mouth and let people think you're disturbed. Why? I've got seven minutes to give y'all an entire outline. <laughs> and bless God, I'm going to. Number one, what do we see in these points? What do we see in this? We see a, a, a shepherd who loses a sheep. He leaves the 90 and 9 with the other shepherds, and he goes and he goes and he goes and he goes, and he looks till he Same thing with the woman. She, she, she lights a candle, sweeps the house, seeks diligently until she Now, here's the thing I want you to see. Write this down. What is Jesus trying to teach these Pharisees? What is Jesus trying to teach these Pharisees? First of all, the value in what is lost. The value in what is lost. You say, preacher, what is lost? A soul. A soul is lost. He set them up. He set them up with the sheep and the silver. And then he told the story of the son, the lost soul, 
He said, don't you understand the value of a soul? Matthew 16, 26 says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me ask you a question. What do you own right now that's worth your soul? What activity are you doing right now that is worth your soul? What are you willing to go to hell over? And if you're smart and you got some sense, your your answer would quickly be nothing. There's not a person that's more important than my soul. There's not a possession that's more important than my soul. There's not an activity that's more important than my soul. Man, my soul is not for sale. What will a man give in exchange? Why? My soul is valuable. It's valuable. Jesus is saying. Listen, we see its value in its creation. It's creation. The Bible said that God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul, soul, meaning never dying soul. Adrian Rogers said, our souls are priceless treasures of infinite worth. Each one was created by God. Every soul has the potential to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Our souls are also valuable because, they're, because of their durability. They last for all eternity. You see, your, your soul will never cease to exist. Your soul will live forever, either in heaven or Your soul will be in existence somewhere between, or excuse me, somewhere uh, when the sun, the moon, and the stars have grown cold, either in heaven or hell. You could never cease to exist any more than God himself could cease to exist. We see the value in a soul in its creation. We see a value in the cost to save it. We see the value of a soul in the cost to save it. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious Blood of Christ is a lamb without spot or blemish. Acts 20, 28, take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. People, do you understand that your soul is so precious that the souls of the lost people around you are valuable Did it cost Jesus, the darling prince of heaven's life, to redeem those souls? Jesus wanted these Pharisees to understand the value in what is lost. Number two, he wanted them to understand the priority in finding what is lost. He wanted them to understand the priority in finding what is lost. You see, we see the priority in the effort that's made. The shepherd left the 90 and 9, and he went and searched diligently. The the woman, she lights a candle, sweeps the house, seeks diligently. In other words, there was nothing more important than finding that sheep. There was nothing. She stopped everything she was doing. She stopped her agenda. She stopped her schedule. Listen, finding the silver coin was the most important thing right then. 
And I'm afraid that churches have lost what the priority should really be. And we're focused on all kind of things, but not winning souls. Thank God for Temple. Thank God for the people going on missions trips. Thank God for the people sharing their stories. Thank God for the people who's learning how to share their stories in those workshops. Thank God for DMD, disciples making disciple makers. Thank God for all those that are getting baptized. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you understand the priority of seeking that which is lost. Man, I'm so glad I go to church here. I'm so glad I pastor a people who have a heart for the lost, who have a heart for God. They want to see that which is lost found. We see the priority and the effort made. But then look at this. Quickly. We see the priority and the endurance shown. How long did he look? Okay, let me ask again. How long did he look? How long did she look? How long do you need to pray for your lost loved one? How long do you need to share your story with them? When do you need to give up on them? Hello. I want to ask you a question. Everybody look at me. We only got one more point. One minute and 15 seconds. Is the loss a priority for you? Really? Really? Is the lost a priority? Your checkbook will tell it. Your, your schedule will tell it. Where you spend your time will tell whether it's a priority to you. Listen, number three. What was number one? Give me that real quick. Number one, Jesus wanted those Pharisees to understand the... Number two, the... In finding what, now we can say the whole thing. You don't have to just say the answer. Let's say the whole thing real loud. All right, you ready? Number one, the. Number two, the. This is so big right here. This is so big. This is so big. He wanted those Pharisees to understand the joy in recovering what is lost. And you know what joy he told them about first? God's joy. He said, let me tell you something. This man found that sheep come home, called all his buddies and said, come rejoice with me. Let's celebrate. That woman did the same thing. And then he said, and let me tell you this. When somebody gets saved, when somebody repents of their sins and gives their life to Christ, I'm here to tell you there is great joy in heaven. And I, I, used to, I used to really say this. Boy, those angels, those angels are celebrating. But that, that's not what it's saying. They're in the presence of the angels. Do you realize that the angels had, know nothing about salvation? They desire to look into it, but they know nothing about redemption or salvation. Well, who in the world's doing all the rejoicing in the joy? God. God is smiling. God is rejoicing. God is happy. 
The Bible says that Jesus in Hebrews 12, 2, it says he endured the cross despising the shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. The knowledge of knowing Steve's going to get saved. Brother Mickle's going to get saved. Miss Diane's going to come into the kingdom. Man, he rejoiced. It's a big deal. Do you know, I, I don't know. I didn't look real hard. Might need to look harder, but I'm not sure there's anything else in life that makes God smile like somebody getting saved. But you know what? It's not just about God's joy. It's about our joy. It's about our joy. Preacher, what are you saying? Man, there is great joy in leading someone to Christ. In John 15, verse 9, Jesus is talking about bearing fruit. And part of bearing fruit is, is winning people, leading people to Jesus. And this is what he said. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy, what is his joy? Seeing the lost come to salvation, that's his joy. For the joy set before him, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be let, let me Let me help you understand what that means. When you are full, you can't take no more. In other words, you, 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 you sat down to a buffet. You've sat down to a buffet. You've ate more shrimp than is in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> and they come and try to offer you more, and you said, I am, I can't take. Do you know that there is a possibility for you to have so much joy that you just can't stand it? How you doing lately? Have you, have you experienced that? Have you experienced a joy that was just overflowing and you really didn't think if you could handle any more of it? Let me tell you something. Chocolate cake ain't going to do that. A bar is not going to do that. Drugs ain't going to do that. Whatever else you're trying to find joy in ain't going to do that. Maybe, maybe you need to start prioritizing what God's prioritizing. You might have the joy that he has. Let me give you one more verse to prove it and we're done. Psalm 126.5. They that sow in tears. They that sow in tears. What does it mean to sow? You're sowing Precious seed. You're showing, sowing the word of God. You are passionate about it. You are, you are soaking those, the, the seed in the tears of your, of your burden. You're burdened about the people you're witnessing to and you're sowing in tears. If you do that, you shall reap in. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with. Bringing the sheaves with him. There were two people that got baptized. <clears throat> well, there was a bunch that got baptized, but there was two specific ones. Back to back, Steve. Wednesday night, right after service, 
I was sitting here talking, talking to people and, and the people and, 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 and I was able to start talking with this young lady and, and her friend came up and we were talking about salvation and how to know that you're saved and, and make a long story short, both of them got saved. I mean, right then, coolest thing ever. It was great. Man, that did more for me than the Bible study did. And I was sitting there in that chair right there, and I was watching, and I saw him come down into the baptistry and get baptized. Man, I almost took a lap. <laughs> but I've been squirrel hunting so much, I'm so sore, can't move, so I just stayed put. <clears throat> but man, what a joy. I was like, yeah! When's the last time you experienced that joy? When's the last time... You made God smile because you shared the gospel with somebody and they got saved. It's one thing for us to have joy, but it's a whole other thing to make God smile. I don't know about y'all, but I want to be a church that makes God smile. Can we give God praise and glory?